few days, several days that we get to have the Summerdorfs with us. Um, uh, they have been here before, but it's been several years. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to our time together, uh, especially here today. And yeah, Brother Summerdorf is going to be coming in just a minute, and I know he'll be a blessing to you uh, here in this first hour today. And then we're looking forward to the morning service as well. And then Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, along with this evening. So uh, just appreciate you being faithful and being here for the Life Group Hour. And I know we'll have more straggling on in, but we're glad that you're here this morning. Yeah, so let's open in prayer, and then Brother Summerdorf will come. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us and your grace. We thank you for each one who's already here and uh, in their place. I pray that you'd be with those who are still on their way, that you would uh, guide them to this place. And, and we thank you for the Word of God that brings us together. We thank you for Jesus Christ and our salvation. And I pray that you would renew our hearts throughout this time this week and help us to honor you uh, with our presence and, and also to honor you with our attention as Brother Summerdorf comes. We guide, pray that you guide us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Summerdorf, would you come? Thank you. There it is. Thank you, Dr. Van Manen. Appreciate that. I like to throw that title around loosely, but uh, good morning, church family. Good to see you this morning, and uh, a delight to be here. I don't know how many of you met me before, just uh, offhand by a show of hands. Got a handful, all right, and you still came back. Wow, that's a blessing. Watch the volume, brother, because I won't stay soft. You'll have to chase me. But uh, brother, uh, Tony, again, I need to be done. Quarter tail? Is that 20 tail? Okay, perfect. Uh, one of the things I want to mention is some of you saw the car coming in. Uh, this will be the only time I post it. I won't post it tonight. But what we're doing this week to encourage people to come and visit, to meet me, hear me speak, and so forth, is we're gifting each visiting family the new video production on the car. And we spent $30,000 filming and producing this thing. It is a top-shelf, 15-chaptered storybook. And it walks people to Calvary. We have every branch of the service represented in here. Uh, the two-star general, uh, Ron Henderson, is the highest-ranking individual. And then Command Sergeant Major from Fort Hood, Archie Davis, he commanded 65,000 troops. He would be the highest-ranking enlisted guy in here. So here's what I recommend you do. On my table is a tract. Okay, we just call it a brochure, and it's a picture of my wife and I with a car. I would encourage you on the way out when you leave this morning to grab a couple of those with a couple of your church tracks and just merge those, and then this week, hand them to somebody at work, hand them to somebody across the way at your neighborhood, and invite them to come meet me and receive the matching movie that goes with that track, that goes with that brochure, okay? Uh, <laughs> you know what people say? Well, <laughs> I invite people all the time. They never come. You know what? That's, that's not your business. That's not You control what you can control. Don't try to control what you can't control. And you can control if you invite somebody to come. And so take advantage. We have those. And you never know who will say yes. The same people that said no last week may have something come in their life this week. And they're seeking something beyond self. And they're looking for some spiritual answers. 
and you may be the timing, all right? So a couple of tracks, a couple of church tracks, and then merge them and, and, and give a couple invitations, and we'll gift them that just for being our guest. Take your Bibles and go to Psalm 1 this morning. Psalm 1. When I was through three years ago, I think I did a chapel service. I think I tapped this thought. I want to tap this thought again because it sets up our morning service. Psalm 1, and I want to begin reading in verse number 1. Psalm 1 and verse number 1. Follow along as I, I read this. Psalm 1, verse 1 begins this way. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Here in Psalm 1 we have an inferred question, and the question will be the title of the little thought I have for you this morning. It's this, where are your roots? Where are your roots this morning? What is it you're planted in? What is it this morning you're drawing your enthusiasms and energies from? I hope it's not the world. That will pass away. I hope it's God's word. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you this morning for the privilege we have to call you Father. Lord, thank you for your Son that's afforded us such an honor. And in his name, we pray your blessing upon our time as we consider this first psalm. We pray, Father, you would use it in our hearts. You would use it in our homes. Father, we pray today as your people, we would not be chaff driven by the winds of society, but we'd be trees planted by the rivers of water. Lord, we ask for this to be so, and may today we not be hearers only. Help us to be doers of thy word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Where are your roots? Take your pen out. This psalm breaks into three very distinct thoughts. It's one of the texts in the Bible that is a very easy-to-outline text, and I'm an outliner, a bit of an organized guy here. But the first thought we're going to look at is found in verse 1, and I give it a title. You'll find in verse 1 the digression of sin. The digression of sin, a downward spiral of sin that leads to a certain place. Verses 2 and 3, we're going to see the delight of the saint. The delight of the saint. And you'll see it's the Word of God. And then verses 4, 5, and 6, we're going to find the demise of the sinner. The demise of the sinner. Look at verse 1. See if you can find the piece of furniture in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What's the piece of furniture in verse number 1? What, what is it? Seat. It's a seat, but it's a certain kind of seat. It's referred to as the seat of the scornful. What is the seat of the scornful? I'm going to borrow that chair. When I'm done with it, nobody's going to want to sit in it again. What is the seat of the scornful? Well, to understand that seat, you need to understand what it means to scorn. The word scorn means to mock, to ridicule, to make fun of. 
I mean, if you were to take scorn and just put it into a posture, here's what it would look like. Hand on the mouth like this, kind of covering it with a snicker and pointing out somebody and laughing at them. That would be a scorner, all right? Now, you need to realize this morning that outside of the walls of this building, there are a whole pile of people in your community that are seated in that seat. They're making fun of you this morning, wasting your day off coming to church. They're making fun of your children for wanting to stay pure until they get married. You all with me? They're making fun of you for not selling out to this world that's visible and serving an invisible God who promises another kingdom that's coming. This is a full seat in America this morning. But the question is, how do you get there? Let me say this, you're not born there. I'm not saying people are born a Christian, but I am saying this. By observation, I've watched little children come to church. And you ever watch them sing about Jesus? They sing about him unashamed. They'll stand there, Jesus loves me, this I know. And when you laugh, they sing louder. They, they don't mock his name. They don't scorn the person of Jesus Christ automatically. So the question's still there, how do you get there if you're not born there? It doesn't happen overnight. Look at Psalm 1, and you'll see the, the path that leads to the mocker's bench in Psalm 1 and verse number 1. It says, blessed is the man, and there's going to be three posture words. I'm going to pause at each one, and if you don't have a problem writing in your Bible, I want you to underline these words. Blessed is the man that, here's the first one, walketh. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor, next word, what is it? Say it with me. Standeth in the way of sinners, nor, third word, say it, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You see somebody walking, moving a direction they shouldn't be going. Next thing you know, they're standing there, motionless, if you will, hanging out with the wrong crowd. And then thirdly, they're seated, they're reclined, they're relaxed, making fun of things they used to believe. In fact, the problem with this seat is once you get in it, it takes more energy to get out of it than it does just to stay there. Notice the blessing is not in those who are in that seat. The blessing is for those who don't go near that seat. You see that? Blessed is the man that doesn't go there. But notice, how do you get there? Well, it begins with the first step. What is the beginning of that whole digression? Notice it begins by walking in the counsel of the ungodly. I put it this way. It begins with bad advice. Oh, let's put it really where we live. It begins with a poor friendship. A poor friendship you should have never fostered. People all the time tell me, Brother David, it doesn't matter who I pal around with. It doesn't matter who I give my heart to. It doesn't matter who I spend quality time with. Yes, it does. Go to 2 Samuel with me. Watch this. Watch the power of a poor friendship found in the Old Testament here in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 13. We're looking in our text this morning, for those who just came in, is Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, and we're looking at the question, where are your roots? And we're looking at verse 1, which contains a digression of sin that leads to a mocker's bench. It leads to the seat of the scornful. And it begins by walking in the counsel of the ungodly. 
begins with bad advice. It begins with a poor friendship. Look at this in 2 Samuel 13 and verse 1. Follow along as I read. It says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon the son of David loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Look up for just a moment. you got a young man here that has a wicked desire for his sister. And while he contemplates what he'd like to do, Scripture records he found it hard to do. I wonder what was in his life that made him pause. I wonder what things were in his life that slowed him down in fulfilling his heart's desire, his wicked desire. I think there were some things in his life that slowed him down. Number one, I think the Word of God was something that made him pause. Every Hebrew boy knew the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. He knew the prohibition against that activity, and I'm sure as he thought about fulfilling his wicked desire, I think the Word of God rose up, living as it is. It's quick and it's powerful. It's not a dead book, it's a living book. And it rose up and it did battle with that thought, and it restrained him for a second. Same thing it does for you and I. In America today, we're living in a Corinthian day. You can't even walk through a Walmart without having stuff go across your radar. People, things, movies, just you can't. And when that happens, the Word of God living comes up and does battle with those thoughts and those things to restrain us for a moment. I think the Bible is something that made him pause. I think the reputation of his father, a man after God's own heart, made him pause. I'm sure he thought, what's Dad going to say if I do this? I think the preacher made him pause. He'd seen Nathan show up at the house a little earlier and point out his daddy's sin, and I'm sure he thought to himself, man, if I pull this stunt, my pastor's going to show up at my door and buttonhole me and ask me what's going on. And let me tell you something, you got the right kind of pastor. He'll show up at your door when you're living in open sin. And I think the reputation of royalty made him pause. He was a king's kid. Shouldn't live such a low life. That ought to make you pause, too, because you're not just common. You're special if you're saved this morning. You're a child of the king, your royalty. But I think as he mulled that thought over and those things begin to hold him back, I think someone stepped up. Look at this, and don't think, but notice all those restraints in verse 3 are swept away with these sad words. But Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend, and with those sad words, all the restraints are swept away. Amnon's friend shows him how to do this. He encourages him to do it, and Amnon doesn't know it, but it's for his own life. Two years later, Amnon's dead because of his friend. I'm going to say it again. Don't tell me it doesn't matter who you pal around with. Don't tell me this morning it doesn't matter who you give your heart to. Don't tell me this morning, guys, it doesn't matter what Internet site you visit when no one else is around makes a big difference. I want you to write three things down about friends. And we're just, we're moving into Psalm 1. I know I do the rabbit trail, but this will bring us full circle. But three things about your friends that always hunt. They're always true. I don't care where you go in life. I don't care how old you get to be. I don't care how young you are now. These three things about friends are always true. Number one, your friends will always define you. Your friends will always define you. What, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. I get through about every three years, so 
those of you, and I miss Amy, <laughs> those of you I know, I soon forget, and then I come back, you know, I meet new people every, every day. That's the fun thing about getting old, you know. <clears throat> I had a friend here, <clears throat> commander in the Navy, he and his wife, she saw the sweetest little shirt. It said, uh, they, an elderly couple was wearing it, and it says, we're, we're, we're old friends now, right? We're good, we're, we're what? We're best friends now. But in a few years, when we get old, we'll be new friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. Your friends define you. I don't know who you all are. I don't know your passions in life. I don't know your standing with the Lord. I don't know a lot about most of you. But I'll make you an offer. You introduce me to your two best and closest friends. The ones you love to always text. The ones you like to always call. The ones you always like to spend time with. And let me just watch them for the next two weeks. Where they go, how they live, who they live for. And at the end of those two weeks, after I've met your friends, I've met you. Your friends expose you for who you really are. Not who you want me to think you are. Your friends will always define you. Number one. Number two, write this one down. Not only do your friends define you, but second of all, your friends direct you. Your friends always direct you. Look in Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13 and verse number 20. Proverbs 13 and verse number 20. We're considering the downward spiral of sin that leads to the seat of the scornful. It begins by walking in the counsel of the ungodly. By, begins with bad advice, a poor friendship. And we're noting that friends always define you. But second of all, according to Proverbs 13, 20, your friends will always direct you. Look at, look at this verse, and I'll read it and, and notice the tense of the verbs. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. And then it goes on to say this, But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13, 20. Wow, do you see that this morning? The second great truth about your friends, not only that they define you, they declare who you really are, but second of all, they direct you. They move you either closer to God or further from God. I, I like to say it this way. When you pick your friends, you pick your future. That's just the way it works. And if that's true, let me ask you this. Who should our best and closest friends be? Well, let me roll back the clock. When we got on the road in 2000, we entered into this ministry with six children <laughs> in a motorhome. It was a 30-foot gas rig at the time. Now we have a big sub. We have a nuclear sub. It's diesel. But back then it was a conventional sub. Submarine warfare. 300 square feet, eight of us. Wow. Do not, ladies, complain about your kitchen and the size of your home. Six hangers apiece, Mom? Is that what you limited them to? Six hangers apiece. That's all every kid could have, six hangers. Four of our six children were daughters. That went over like screen doors on a submarine. <laughs> but when we got on the road, I thought one of the neat things to do with my oldest son, Kevin, to bond, was to teach him how to play chess. I was the chess champion of our high school. I thought, this is going to be fun. I'm going to show this kid how to play chess. And along the way, 
he's going to respect the prowess of dad. Dads can always use more respect from their sons. And I'm going to feel good as I drub him on a continual basis. So this went great. went exactly according to plan. As we traveled, we set up the chess game. I would win. But about a year into that deal, the fateful day occurred. <laughs> I practically marked my calendar. I practically cut the page out of the calendar. The little creep beat me. I thought, you know, I suppose every little kid gets lucky once in a while. So I said, set him up again. So we set him up again. The little turkey beat me again. I thought, what is going on? And what I didn't know is while we were traveling around, he was buying these chess books. Bobby Fisher, Morphy, the great masters. And he was studying them and secretly learning opening gambits and closing gambits and recording games. And, and he had moved his game from uh, intermediate, upper intermediate to advanced. Let me tell you something. When that day occurred and, and he beat me twice in a row, chess was off in our motorhome. It was done. I mean, I was not spiritual enough to handle that. And so what he did is we traveled around. He began to find little enclaves of chess players at churches. I would come to the youth department, sometimes a deacon, sometimes a pastor. I think some pastors book meetings with me to play my son chess. That's fine. Evangelism's commission only. I'm into that. Fine, fine. But I remember one time we were in Louisiana, brother. And... Uh, afternoon we were in the fellowship hall having a meal with the church family and I looked over in the corner there was Kevin with a whole gaggle of teenagers the youth department around him apparently he had his chessboard set up had some victim he was playing you know and after about five or ten minutes all of a sudden he's big smile you know he stood up shook hands grin all over his place you knew he his face you knew he, he'd won and so I called him over I said Kevin come here he came trotting over he said chess yes sir I said uh, kind of player did you have I said did you win he said, oh, yeah. I said, what kind of competition did you have? Oh, he, you know, he was a beginner dad. You know, he developed his rooks first. He didn't go for the center with his knights. Yeah, chess jargon. Ta-da. I said, son, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. I don't know if you'll take it. But if you take it, it will help your game tremendously. If you want to really move your game to the next level, you've got to quit playing beginners. You have to intentionally find somebody who's better than you and purposely spend time with them. Now, you're not going to like how that feels because you're going to feel like a loser because he's going to beat you, and that doesn't feel good. But set him up and stay with it. You're probably going to lose again, but set him up and stay with it and, and just hang in there with that relationship because without realizing it, he is going to challenge you, build you, grow you, and help you move to that next level in your game. Let me say this morning, that's great advice for finding a friend. You know what we do? We sell out to the least common denominator so many times. We just like for our friend to make us happy. That's cheap. That doesn't build you. We just like to be with somebody who's fun to be with. Let me tell you something. Sin is fun. Anybody tells you otherwise, they don't know what they're talking about, and you're being in denial. Sin is a pleasure for a season. 
Just because it's fun, that shouldn't be it. I, I meet ladies who say, who's your best friend? Oh, you know, this one over here. I said, well, you know, uh, tell me about her. Oh, she's fun to go shopping with. And oh, she's so, she makes me. But she's not a good mother. She's not a good role model as a Christian. She's not a good, y'all with me? And then we guys, oh, our best friend is, the, you know, the guy who likes, I don't even know. Oh, Boise State. Yeah, we're in Idaho now, aren't we? <laughs> I almost said the Ducks. <laughs> I just came from Oregon. I was there when the Ducks got creamed, by the way, 62 to 20. I was in the stadium wearing my Gators shirt. <laughs> but, I mean, we do. Oh, oh, he's my best. He's my honey buddy. Oh, we, I just love him because, you know, we spend tons of time because... Mm. And there's nothing spiritual. There's nothing high about it. It's just some low-level uh, relationship, and there's no spiritual challenge. In fact, it's almost the opposite. Who should your best and closest friend be? As a Christian, who should your best and closest friend be? Here's what Brother Prisk used to say, my mentor. Your best and closest friend should be someone who loves Jesus just a little more than you do. And on that ladder of spiritual maturity, we ought to find somebody one rung ahead of us. And put our finger in their belt loop and let their life pull us north and closer to the Lord, not further from Him. And then we ought to look back for somebody that needs encouragement and grab at them and together walk up that ladder of spiritual maturity toward the Lord, not away from Him. Amen? Hey, if I was in a black church right now, they'd have their hankies out going, Oh, honey, you're talking. You just park right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our friendships are important. Who are your friends in the books you read? Who are your friends in the movies you watch? Who are your friends in the Internet sites you visit? Mm. Your friends define you. Your friends direct you. And if they're the wrong kind of friend, like Ammon, they can destroy you. They can destroy your marriage. They can destroy your children. They can destroy your fellowship with your God. Seen it. Been there myself. So, go back. Psalm 1. Look what's said here in Psalm 1. It says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. But then it moves to a second level, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now we see somebody standing with a crowd they shouldn't stand with. And I, and I always said this, who you listen to is who you run with. And then it says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now recline, mocking God and things you used to believe. Why don't people leave God quietly? They never do. They rarely do. Because to be comfortable where they're now seated, they've got to tear down what they used to believe. Amen? And the blessing is not going to that chair. The blessing is going a different direction. Look with me. It says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But here it comes, verse 2. But his delight is somewhere else. Where? His delight. Notice that. It's a joyful picture. The face just lights up. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's your Bible. 
And in his law doth he, what's the word? What's the word there? Say it again, what's the word? Meditate. Circle it. Day and night. What an interesting word. In his law doth he meditate. Well, when I hear the word meditate, two thoughts come. And when I say each word, one at a time, you're going to go, oh, you're going to get this picture in your mind. Your relationship to the book. In his law doth he, you ready for the first word? Marinate. Ah. Marinate. Marinate. Day and night. What is that picture? What do you picture when you hear marinate? I had a marinated steak. What do you picture? Right? What is a marinade? What, 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 what? It, it's a sauce, right? And what do you put in there? Food items. Yeah. Steak. Not tofu. Steak. <laughs> I was raised on a beef operation in Minnesota. Steak. And leave the fat on. Don't cut it off. So, but that's unhealthy. That'll kill you. Mm. Statistically, I have found that 10 out of 10 people do die. It's a known statistic. Some eating the finer things in life, like a medium rare ribeye steak with a fat left on, had been marinated for 21 days, aged and marinated 21 days in a marinade, a sauce. What's the purpose of a marinade? It has two purposes. Purpose number one, what? What? Okay, I'll say it because I'm. it's meant to flavor it. Man, you take time to read Deuteronomy, and you'll see God told his people to surround themselves with his word. Put it on the doorpost. Put it in the upper doorpost. Put it in your house. Talk about it in your home. Sing it when you're home. I mean, just surround and immerse yourself in my word. Marinate it. Soak in it. Why? So it'll flavor you. And second of all, so it will tenderize you. Do you know the word of God softens Sinners, but the world hardens them. The word of God softens saints, but the world hardens them. What's your sauce in your home? I hope it's the word of God, and I mean this, and I own this huge television. I hope it's not the television. I hope it's not the swirling words of anger. And contention. You need to change your sauce if you want to taste differently. And if you want to get tender again. And surround yourself with the word of God. Amen. In his law doth he marinate. Number one. Number two. In his law doth he. (laughs) Here's the second word. Write it down. Ruminate. Ruminate. All right. How many of you know what that word means? It comes from a certain animal. What animal? What animal is a ruminant? A cow. A cow is a ruminant. Beef operation. What what does it mean, in his law doth he marinate, in his law doth he ruminate? All right? What does that mean? Well, if you ever, if if you know anything about cattle, well, let me ask you this. You ever seen a cow out in the afternoon, sun's on them, their hooves are tucked up, their eyes are at half staff, and their jaw is doing something. What's it doing? Chewing its... Mm. What's the cud? Well, cow, when they eat, they eat in volume. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if if somebody says you eat like a cow, that's not a compliment. (laughs) 
all right? That 14-foot tongue comes out, takes it all in, butts everybody out of the way, it gulps it down. A cow has four stomachs. And then later in the day, it belches back up. It burps, it regurgitates, it pukes, whatever you want to say. It brings it back up again, and it stuffs a portion of what it ate in the corner of its mouth. It's about the size of a golf ball, and it's almost as hard. It's the bovine version of beef jerky. And it sits there, and it tastes it again. And if a cow could think, cows don't think. They're, they're one of the dumbest animals. Only a horse is dumber than a cow. I'm telling you the truth. A horse is not a smart animal. Pigs are smart. Goats are smart. And it'll sit there, and this is what it'll say. Oh, Farmer Jones gave us some great oats today. Oh, and the alfalfa, oh, and that corn, and he's tasting it again. That's what he's doing. Go to Colossians 3, watch this. In Colossians 3, look at the relationship you and I are to have with God's Word as God's people. We're to not only marinate in it, we're to ruminate upon it as well. In Colossians 3, that can only occur one way. Colossians 3, verse 16, look what's said. It says this, Colossians 3.16, Let or allow the word of Christ, that's your Bible, to dwell in you. Notice you're not in the word, now the word is in you. In you, and what's the word that it uses there? What's the, the quantity context? What's the word? Richly. He's in great abundance. Christian, you're not supposed to snack on God's word. You're supposed to consume it in volume. Why? So later in the day, when your mind goes to neutral, you zone, you think about the Bible verses you read that morning, or the scripture you're memorizing. There at the workplace, when you see a situation, oh, the Word of God comes up and applies to that, and how to deal with it. You with me? Oh. This I know. You only burp up what you've been eating. And most of the time, American Christianity, when its mind goes to neutral, burps up the last movie they saw, the last football game they watched, the last talk radio host they were listening to, the last joke they heard. It doesn't burp up the Word of God. It indicts us as to what we eat. In his law doth he marinate, soak in. In his law doth he ruminate, fills himself with, and brings back up. Why? Go back to Psalm 1. Here's why. The the Bible gives the answer as to why we do this, why our focus is to be the Word of God, why this ought to be what we go after, not so we can strut around in pride and tell people how they don't know what the Bible says and how we're right and they're wrong. That's not why we do this. Watch, so it'll affect us. In his law, verse 2, we pick up in verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Look at this. Look at how it affects you. And he shall be like a tree, verse 3, planted by the rivers of water, 
that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Wow. Marinating in the Word of God, ruminating on the Word of God, causes us to be a tree planted by the rivers of water. Look at the picture. Just You, you think in your mind when you see this, this tree planted by the rivers of water, leaf prospering. What you picture is this giant oak, man. Roots down, branches up. Majestic, unmoving, fruitful. That's what you picture. And God said, a Christian in my word, marinating, ruminating, richly, becomes ultimately in time. And trees don't get to that point overnight. In time, when that's their habit, they become trees, pine by the of water. Why do you think God uses trees to represent spiritual maturity? I think it's because of what trees give us, benefits we receive from them. Your turn to talk in the last eight minutes we've got. What do trees give us? Raise your hand, don't shout anything out, but you say, here's a benefit, here's something trees give us. Fruit. Wow. How can we be fruitful without the Word of God? If we're not feasting on the Word of God, we're not going to be fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Hey, you can't. It's impossible, because, and I'll preach on it this morning, we have a default setting that's opposite of that. We're not fruitful, naturally. Amen? What else? Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Was the hand up? Who, was the hand up, hand up? All right, oxygen, got it. Okay, we let you go. No demerits. All right, no demerits. Oxygen, life-giving. How can you possibly, how can we as Christians possibly be the saver of life to a, uh, an oxygen-starving, spiritually-starving people if we're not in the Word of God itself? Amen? What else? Raise your hand. Shade. Shade. Oh, you would think that around here, wouldn't you? How'd you like the tornado that went through last night? Good grief. I live in a motorhome. That wind ripped. I had one of my doors open, my bay doors plugged power in charging a vet battery. And I said, hon, I'm 2 in the morning. I said, I'm shutting that thing before the wind rips it off. And I opened the door, and it looked like a Sahara desert out there. I was looking for the camels going by. This place is nuts. But I know it gets hot here in the summer, too, doesn't it? And isn't that refreshing to find some shade tree with a, with, with a, with a lemonade or, or iced tea and just sit. Oh, it's a rest in a weary land. And God's people, when they get in God's word, not the world, but when they plan it, you become a rest in a weary land. You're refreshing to be with. What else? Raise your hand. Wood. Boy, there's a lot there. Fuel. We need refueled. Amen. But how about building materials? <laughs> you're going to get a little glimpse of Brother Summerdorf. There are times we'll spend time with couples, go to their house to eat, you know, have a dinner out or whatever, and you know, late at night we have what we call pillow talk. You know, pillow talk is where you're reviewing the day. You know, heads on the pillow, you're talking about the day, the people you met, and sometimes I'll say this, you, if you would be listening in, I'd say, hon, man, that couple we were with, oh, if I was pastoring again, I'd want a hundred couples just like that in my church. What am I saying? They're building material. They're not ministries, they're ministers. They're not takers, they're givers. Y'all with me? That's what I'm saying when I say that. 
Then there's times I look at her and say, huh, oh man, I was pastoring again. That dear couple I met, I, I would wish a hundred families like that on the local cult down the road and let them tear that place up. Sorry, I'm just that honest. We all need to grow up into Jesus Christ. And that'll never ha happen apart from God's Word. And we have to give ourselves to that. Amen? And spiritual people don't take something small and make it big. They take something big and make it small. They put the fire out. And they minister. And they give. They don't take and become a ministry. That'll never happen apart from God's Word. Building materials, what else? What's that? Beauty. I'm telling you, apart from the Word of God, you're pretty ugly. And so am I. Amen? In fact, if you knew everything about me, you would not right now be listening to me. Amen? But if I knew everything about you, I wouldn't waste my time talking to you right now either. We're in this thing together. We need the Lord to build us and grow us. Amen? Erosion control, they hold things together. That permanence, they stay put. They're not always just bouncing all over the place. They, they, they ground, they hold, they, they become something you can almost use as a reference and a byword for direction. Turn at the big oak planted on the corner. Amen? That's good. We ought to be pointing people to the Lord. Look at this as we close. It says this. In verse 4, the ungodly are not so. They're not like the tree. But what are they like? They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. What are those people like who are A, not in the Lord, and B, not in his word? They're not trees planted by the rivers of water. They're chaff driven by the wind. You know something I know about chaff? It has no root. It bears no fruit. It just goes wherever society goes. That's its benchmark is the wind, not the water. Amen? And something I know about chaff, it's very irritating. I've been blasted by chaff the backside of a combine before. <sighs> not good. And you know what? It has no value. You never go in a feed store and find a bale of chaff for sale. It's only good to be burned up or plowed under for next year's fertilizer. And so this morning as we close, according to this psalm, you're either a tree planted by the rivers of water or you're chaff driven by the wind. You say, well, what determines that? That all depends upon your relationship with the Lord and with this book. Let's purpose this morning as God's people. And this is what we can control. We can control where we plant. We can control what we give ourselves to, not what others do. We ought to give ourselves to God's word. And let that turn us into trees planted by the rivers of water, not chaff, just driven by the wind. Amen? May that be our focus today. Father, thank you for this thought. How I pray you'd use it even in my life, Lord. 
Lord, I pray that we would grow in the nurture and admonition of your Son. Father, may we give ourselves to your word and not to this world. May this be our marinade. Father, may this be that which we ruminate and meditate upon. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Lord bless you. You're dismissed. Amen. You are dismissed. Yep. There we got it.